I think for those of us who know Jesus is probably the key festival. It's like the key moment. Uh, you know, Christmas has the razzmatazz around it, you know, society and stuff and Father Christmas and roast dinners and, you know, drinking too much and gorging yourself and stuff and a bit of time off work. Maybe in society, Christmas, Good Friday is a bit of a day off. Get an extra day off. You know, the Easter Monday's coming and it's Easter eggs and bunnies and stuff. But for those of us who know Christ, like this has an extra special momentum around it. Um, I'm going to read you an account in a moment of, of the resurrection. But I, um, this is not an original thought to me. I nicked this off someone else who, a brilliant Christian commentator, this week put this picture up. A picture of which I have seen before. Uh, but if you could uh, put up the picture of the two disciples, please. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be great. There you go. I, I don't know if you've come across this picture before, but this is by a guy called Eugene Bernand. He painted this in 1898, and it's stuck in a very obscure, um, uh, what do you call it, an art gallery. That's what they're called. <laughs> Fire station. <laughs> it's, it's stuck in an obscure gallery. Uh, it's not in a Louvre or anything. It's actually in Paris, but in, in like a side street style one. And um, I don't know if you can guess who they are, uh, but that is, that is John on the left and Peter on the right. And if you, it, it's basically ripped out of the uh, John 20 account of the resurrection, uh, which I'll read to you in a moment. But in their faces, I think you probably see everything that Easter means to those who believe. John, of course, on the left, was a younger guy. And uh, when you read the account in John 20, which I'll read to you in a moment, uh, he outguns Peter. He gets to the tomb first because he's a fitter guy, younger. But he had been loyal to Jesus. You know, he hadn't left Jesus' side right to the bitter end. You know, he journeyed with him all the way through and then was with him when he died on the cross. And you can just see, by the way, his hands are clenched and the look on his eyes is like, could this be? Could this be? Could it be? It's like, please. Like, is he really alive? Could this be? You know, it's like, he's all tensed up. He's like wringing his hands. Like, please, please, please. But you look at the face of Peter on the right. Because, of course, Peter had denied Jesus. And uh, he probably represents, well, his face is probably more like I would be. Because I've let the Lord down so many times. And, uh, and still continue to. But he had betrayed him. And you look at his hand on his chest and his, the look on his eyes is more like, oh, I hope it is. Like, I hope it is, but actually I'm ashamed as well. And Like, he's got everything in his face, isn't he? An amazing thing. It's not even like a really famous photo, but look at like the stare. There's expectancy, courage, fear, shame hope. It's all in there. Let's leave that up while I, I read this account. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. 
So the younger guy gets there first and he's all earnest and could this be, could this be? And that's the piece, obviously they're running together at that point or just about to burst into a run maybe. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there and he didn't go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. Because Peter, when you read the Gospels, he's always a slightly bit more impetuous kind of guy. You know, so he just bashes his way in, check it out, what's going on? He entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and saw and believed. For as yet they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. So there you have it. And I, ow. And I wonder, so I've got a bad arm. I wonder uh, where you fit in those two faces. I wonder where you fit. I wonder which one that you're like. Or maybe you're someone who is like, I'm, I'm, I'm more of the like, is this true thing in the face? And some of you maybe have the shame bit of the face and some of you have the excited bit of the face. And some of you are wringing your hands together this morning saying, could this be, could this be, could Jesus get me out of this? And some of you might be like Tom, you know, just shared. It's like I had all this anxiety and stuff and every day it's going, it's going, it's going because of resurrection hope. Easter, to me, is probably, or to society, I would say, one of the three main components that people associate Christianity with. People associate Christianity with either the Nativity, Christmas, or Easter. Actually, you can thrid it, fit it, split it rather into like three chunks. And I think it's worth examining this a little bit because I've realized over the years that most Christians, or even people in society, stick at one part of the story. So, for example, the birth, the classic nativity. I was once, in 1977, a king, ladies and gentlemen. I was even put in a robe and some lady jewellery and made to look like a king. And it was the only starring moment I've ever had in a play. And for many people, the nativity is a Christmas association. Um, there's the obligatory... Away in a Manger song by the smallest. The Candles by Carol Light service. I mean, we are in like Christian hinterlands here where people will come out for the Christmas service because people do like a carol. There is something about a carol and a mince pie and a bit of a brandy clotted cream that makes you feel like everything is all right with the world. Do you not find that? That cosy, warm feeling when you sing a Christmas carol. And, and somehow, for whatever reason, that's ingrained itself in our society. And for many people, they keep Jesus as a little baby plastic doll in a fake manger in a nativity play. And they ignore the profound story that goes underneath it. Uh, I just made a few bullet points. Uh, like, for instance, they would ignore the radical nature of the Son of God laying aside heaven, glory, power, majesty, to be 
born into a manky stable and escape extreme persecution, like the slaughter of the innocents, and, and go and hide out in Egypt as like, you know, asylum seekers, living on the edge for a number of years to escape utter horror. But what do we do with it? We put Jesus in a manger and dress kids up in lady jewellery and robes and eat mince pies with brandy clotted cream and say, that's cosy. No, it's not. No, it's actually horrible and amazing at the same time. But many Christians freeze themselves at the nativity story and mess out the fact that it was an escape from a maniac king and the most amazing invasion story that the world has ever seen because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born and came to save us. It is an amazing story of inbreaking, but many people stop at the first bit. Or then, the second bit is the Good Friday part of the Easter story, uh, which, of course, to many people is a day off work, but to Christians marks another part of a horror story, which was the brutal execution of our King, Leader, and Lord and Master. And yet it was the most amazing thing. Uh, you'll just have to bear with me because I'm a little bit slow on the pages today. But um, Let me read this to you from uh, Isaiah 53. This is, this is Good Friday. It's worth rehearsing. This is an account of the crucifixion written many, many years before it actually happened. And there's a reason I'm going through all this. It will become clear in a moment. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows acquainted by grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely our griefs himself he bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is an account of the crucifixion. We had hundreds of years before it happened. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. Each of us sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers. That's Good Friday. And it's called the Great Exchange. The reason, sorry to keep going on about this, Tom, but you, but it's so apt. The reason that your anxiety is going day by day by day and you're getting more and more and more peace it's because all of that that you carry was slammed into Jesus on the cross. And he took it so you go free. You can be sitting here today actually carrying anything and nothing is beyond the reach and grace of Good Friday. There's no anxiety, depression, no sin, no mess, no pain, no brokenness. I've met people before who've said to me many, many times over the years, if you knew what was in my life, if you knew what was in my life, you wouldn't want me in my church. Oh, no. No, 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 I follow one who wants you so close. That, you know, and the more and more people have told me about the mess in their lives, the more and more I sense God loves for them. 
you know, as they, as they start to confess stuff, the more and more you sense God's love and hand upon their lives. Because that's the cross. If there can be no forgiveness, there is no cross. You just undo it. If you say, my sin is so great, my message is so great that Jesus can't deal with it, you've not understood the cross. That's Good Friday. But just as people stay in the nativity, people can freeze, you know, keeping Jesus as this cosy, sentimental story, people can stay as Good Friday Christians too. And it's, and it's sneaky, but you can spot it. Good Friday Christians have only kind of got part of the way there. And you can tell in different degrees. Because, I mean, we do talk about pain and brokenness and sin and mess in this church because we believe we have a Savior who died for it. But that's all they talk about. I'm like a complete broken mess. I'm a worm. I'm a sinful, broken man. And the, and the story is always about the brokenness. And they never move past it. And I hear it and I think, you do know that there is an exchange in Isaiah 53. You do know that Jesus did actually take that. But Good Friday Christians can end up never feeling quite good enough. Always feeling a bit messed up. Or, even as a Christian, mildly depressed. With no joy. You can see it in churches. There were Good Friday churches and Good Friday Christians. The Puritans were like that. You know, it's all about the rules and all about the suffering. And sometimes, you know, people might accuse us of being a little bit too happy. Well, it's because we didn't stop at Good Friday. You know, you can tell a church is stuck in Good Friday because all they talk about is heaven because we're just waiting to die. Because our lives are so bad. It's true. All we talk about is death. Oh, I will die one day and be released from this terrible, sinful shell called my body. It's wasting away and we're all going to die. But heaven will be amazing. Really? So if I'm with you, you're all that miserable. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> Sounds like a terrible place. How awful. No hope. And it trips into religion. That's what Good Friday Christianity trips into religion. Nativity Christianity is childish. And people never mature and walk with the living, risen, ascended Jesus. Good Friday Christianity is religious. And, like, you know, you can see people starting to be happy. And, and the religious police will come out. They're going, mm. Far too happy in this Sunday, I saw someone clap. I counted five people who put their arms in the air. I've been in a church like that. I've, I've been with an elder of a church who, who years ago discovered that God actually loved him. And he confessed to me, he said, I'd stand on the balcony counting how many people look happy in worship, putting their arms in the air. Go, there goes another one. It's Good Friday Christianity. I'm going to, I've desperately tried to find this on Google because it was once up there, but the church, the church where I became a Christian, they were amazing. I mean, they loved the Lord. And what they did give me, which has stayed with me all my life, is a deep love for the Bible. 
Um, but they weren't very happy. I mean, honestly, they were waiting for death. They were those people. And uh, let, let's, let me show up. The, well, before you put this verse up, they used to have two, two posters outside the front of the church at an angle. Can't quite do it. Like angled, like that. And, and they, honestly, I wish I'd taken a photo of it. Can you put the verse up, please, Abby? This was out the front of the church. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he made man in the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Come in, have a good Sunday. <laughs> That's Good Friday Christianity, everybody. It's true, though. I mean, it's true. It is true. But it's only part of the story. Honestly, he was out the front of the church. Come in, we love you. Well, we don't love each other, or you really, but the Lord does. One day you'll die and it'll be all right then. <laughs> it's Good Friday Christianity. It's true. It's true that we are sinful. But something happened. We had a saviour who died because we were messing up and it caused us death. But it didn't stop there. And if there's one thing that Christians need to take on board is that it didn't stop there. There is a reason why we seek to be a happy church. Not a silly, like, skipping around happy church. I mean, I know some of you might like it, skipping around. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about trite joy. I'm talking about loving life joy. Optimism, hope. There's a reason why I'm a, I'm a rampant optimist. I always think everything's going to work out all right. Why? Because I did move past Good Friday to Easter Sunday. And like many of you, I have cheated and read the end of the book. I went to the end of the book quite quickly. Let me read it to you. This is the end of the book. Well, towards the end of the book. This is Revelation 21. Why have I got such, so many pages in my Bible? It's so frustrating. Right, I'm still not past the concordance. Come on, help. Oh, let's see. Oh, dear. Right, there we go. Revelation 21. This is what's going to happen. Do you want to hear it? It's quite exciting. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's what makes us Easter Christians. Not just for Sunday, but all the time. We move through the stages. We have the invasion story. We have Good Friday. And then we have Easter Sunday. And it didn't even stop at the resurrection. Because then the Bible says that Jesus ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father. And as I've said to you before, he is actually praying for you right now. The ascended, risen Jesus. And it says in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. We belong there now. And in this time now, we start to live this out. There are some amazing benefits to the resurrection. The first one is we have a destiny. Do you know what? One of the most painful things I think we have to endure in life is loss. Some of the most painful pastoral episodes I've ever had to deal with revolves around bereavement, grief and death. Whether people knew it was coming or whether it was sudden, whether it seemed timely or untimely, death is one of the toughest things that people will ever have to contend with. Your own impending death will have to be faced. You will be there as it happens. And that's the amazing thing about Christianity. Because when we breathe our last breath, or when we watch a loved one breathe their last breath, and they put their hope and trust in the risen, ascended Lord Jesus Christ, we never say goodbye forever. And we will one day be partying again in heaven. And those faces of those disciples will be filled with joy as will yours. That first moment of reunion in heaven will be more mind-blowing than you can currently get your head around. And I don't know the technicalities of how this will happen, but I know that you'll close your eyes, you'll breathe your last breath, and then as if in the blink of an eye, you'll open them again, you'll be before the Lord. And there'll be a whole bunch of people there with you, including those that you've lost and those you're going to face losing. And it will be, my goodness me, because we have a destiny. And let me just say this. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, what a load of rubbish. Well, that's fine. I'm, I'm up for you believing that. But then why worry about your kids? Why invest into life? Why do anything? Because if there is no heaven, if there is no new earth, there's no cross and no resurrection, then these beautiful babies here, Eliana and Eden, that we've all been praying for for the last few weeks, well, 
It's just a sick joke. They're just going to die and be nothing. Why worry about them? And, and people have been like that through the ages in different cultures because it's like, why bother? Well, do your bit and stick them up a chimney. What's the point? Why love them? Why, why care? You're just going to be a faded photograph in a box one day. But not to those of us who know Jesus and know that there is more to life than this. That we know that this life isn't it. Do you get what I'm saying? Like there's a destiny and we are family and one day we'll be in eternity together. You're going to be in eternity with me. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm going to do. I go, only me? Way! And you'll go, oh no, send me back. Someone raise me from the dead quick. That's what you've been doing, isn't it? Destiny. Place has been prepared. But the Good Friday Christians only think about that. Because this life now is so miserable. We're waiting in agony for eternity. But for the Easter Sunday Christians, there's something else. And I'll just finish with this. For the Easter Sunday Christians, and I'm just going to use this phrase because some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of you won't. But for evangelical conservative Christians, we often stick with the heaven story. And this life is this pain we have to endure. But for those of us who are filled with God's spirit, we know that there is resurrection power today. Life is different today. Look at this. What shall we say then, it says in Romans 6? Are to reach and continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. It says this. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? you get baptized you go under water symbolizing burial and then it says therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father we too might walk in a newness of life for if we become united with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection that's why we baptize people by putting them right under the water to symbolize death when you come out of the water it symbolizes resurrection into new life. And that means being filled with God's spirit, leading a new life means hope now, peace now, shalom now, wholeness now, optimism now. That's why we do encourage you to be optimistic because there is power for now and peace for now. i tell you this story very quickly. I had a mate called Brian. Some of you have heard me tell you this before, but there's so many new people in the church, you're going to get it again. I had a mate called Brian, and Brian had been an ex-gangster. And once he'd savagely beaten up someone when he was a young man, he'd put him in hospital and nearly killed him. And the police were hunting for him, never found him, and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, years went by, and Brian left the gangs in East London, became a builder. He's now, that incident happened in his 20s. He's now in his 60s when I knew him. And uh, he said to me, his wife would come to church. He, at this point, had not become a committed Christian. And you know what he said to me? He said, thing is, Carl, there is stuff in my life that I'm, I'm just, I was an animal when I was younger. No God would love me. He said, I heard about Jesus. I hear you preach it. I come with Sue. He said, but honestly, he said, you know, his expression was, I've got lorry loads of sin in my life. You talk about sin, I've got lorry loads of it. You know, I'm a nasty bloke. And I said, 
there must be something that's stopping him. He told me about this incident where he nearly killed someone. Had a gang fight, sneaked up on someone, hit him with a bit of four by two. Turned it had a six inch nail coming out the back. He hadn't noticed, nearly killed him. Hit him repeatedly with this nail, which punctured him multiple times across his body. Guy ends up in prison. And I said to him, Brian, Brian, that's savage. But when Jesus was nailed to a cross, mate, that was savage. Like, he can take that. Jesus is big enough to forgive you and make all this good. And he went, no, mate. This is something that's beyond hope. That's, that's teaching on, like, Good Friday Christianity. It's like, I know you're saying Jesus died for me. I can kind of get it, but basically I'm waiting to die. I'm such a miserable guy. And I'll see Sue enjoying her faith, but it's, I could never enjoy my faith. I couldn't, you know, I can't enjoy God like that. I kid you not, right? That two weeks later, He's walking down the high street in Billericay in Essex. Billericay. Thank you. <laughs> and he's, it's where I was a pastor, see? Everyone thinks he's in Ireland, but he's in Essex near Basildon. And we're, he's walking down the road, and he sees this guy, he clocks this guy wearing a big hat, like in, like, you know, like a cowboy type, <laughs> walking down the road, big fella. And he looks at him, he says to himself, oh, I know him. And this guy's walking down the road speaking with a broad Australian accent. Bearing in mind, this is now like 40 years after all this stuff had happened, thereabouts. Brian's thinking, I can't believe this. I think this is that guy. So they meet in the middle of the high street in Billerickian, stop in front of each other. And Brian says to this guy, um, are you such and such a person? And this guy says, in a broad Australian accent, the guy had been lived in East London before that, he goes, yes, mate, I am. Or, yes, mate, I am. Like that. I don't even do that. <laughs> and then, then he says, I'm so sorry. That was me who assaulted you at that time. And this guy says, I know it was you. He said, and I nearly died. And I was so scared. I mean, this is 40 years later, meeting in high street, Billy Rickett, guy's got an Australian accent. He said, I was so scared of you that I fled. When I got out of hospital, I fled and made a new life for myself in Sydney. He said, but Brian, it's okay, because I forgave you 35 years ago and I gave my life to Christ in the street. <laughs> and he says, but you wouldn't know about that, would you? You wouldn't know what that means. And starts giving the gospel and Brian says, no, I do know what it means. My wife goes to church. They've been telling me all about Jesus, but I never thought I could be forgiven. And this guy gives him a hug and he says, I forgave you, Brian, many years ago and God forgive you too. And they hug. And Brian gave his life to Christ. And a few years later died as a man in peace in heaven. That is Good Friday to Easter Sunday to resurrection to new hope to new life. And none of you are so sinful or bad that you are beyond that or out of the reach of it. And all of us who know Jesus, I believe, should be living Easter Sunday resurrection lives every single day in hope that there is a destiny to come
but there is a life full of joy right now. I mean, God breathes his spirit into us and we receive resurrection power. That changes everything. That's why we should be walking around with our gaze upward, full of hope that all things can be made new. Yeah, we're going to die. And yeah, there's stuff that's miserable and horrible. And you don't get to any age, really. You don't get into, you know, even your 30s without experiencing some modicum of stress and aggravation. But our faith in Christ transcends all of that, doesn't it? And it's that, it's that, that when you hit the wall this week, or next month, or you're not feeling that's real, you can look up to an empty cross, an empty tomb, and a resurrected, ascended Jesus who's got it. He's got it covered. One day we'll be rejoicing together on a new earth and the heavens in a holy city, going, man, that was some roller coaster ride. But look where we are now. One day, we'll close our eyes, breathe our last breath, we'll open them again, and I assure you of this, real life, real life will begin. And it will be as if you have woken up from a dream because it will be so sharp and so in focus and so amazing. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure of your position in Jesus, or there's stuff that you're carrying, and you've always thought, I cannot tell anyone about that, and it weighs you down, and there will be people like that. You just need to know that Jesus can take it. If you're feeling like this life's a little bit, Ugh, there is a destiny. If you're feeling like, I've never really received that, I don't know what that hope or joy looks like, we'd love to pray for you. Because we'd love you to know it on this Resurrection Sunday. If you're curious about Christianity at all, need to boss yourself on the next Alpha course. We'll have a chat with Tom. He'll tell you how amazing Jesus is. Because Jesus is amazing, right, Tom? There you go. Tom said it. It's true. You know it's true because he's a big fella. And if it's not true, it's too scary to say, no, it's not true.